Good morning, Woodlands Church. Are you awake? Yeah. The lion may be sleeping tonight, but I hope you're awake after that. That was awesome. You know, Chris and I have had the privilege many times of going to Africa and leading teams from our church as we have a Woodlands Church campus just outside of Nairobi uh, next to the Quarry Slum. And so on a mission trip, we will take our team from the States and we'll work for maybe seven to 10 days with our team from Kenya. And at the end of that time, we're all worn out, so we usually take the last couple of days to take both teams on safari. One of the places we love to go is a place called Lake Nakuru National Park. And it's this picturesque landscape uh, right on the floor of the Great Rift Valley, surrounded by wooded forests and rolling grasslands. It's just this beautiful place, and it's known for its flamingos that migrate there every year. In fact, there are 450 different species of birds. Bird watchers from all over the world come to Lake Nakuru to uh, see some of the most exotic birds in the world. And you're just surrounded by these amazing animals in their natural habitat. Uh, animals like giraffes and black rhinos and leopards and water buffaloes and and even though you know you're in the wild with wild animals, it's so Disney-esque that you start to think that you can get right up and pet those animals. I mean, you forget about all the danger, like this lion. Take a look at this lion that just, he, he's just inviting you in, you know. Come and pet me so I can eat you, you know. I mean, you forget about the dangers, and you just want to get so close to them. And there's a giraffe park just outside of Nairobi where you can get really close to the animals. Just look at this picture. <laughs> this is Chris kissing a giraffe. Now, they say that a giraffe's tongue is antiseptic, and so if a lion bites your arm and you have a gaping wound, just go to a giraffe and let it lick the wound. It'll heal up instantly. I love looking at these animals, and it just makes me think of the very first time we went on a safari. I was so excited because you know, we grew up watching Wild Kingdom and just thought, this is amazing. Now you can watch the BBC Earth program. And every time we see that kind of show, I just look at Carrie and say, God is so incredible. Like, how does he think this stuff up? And I always say, can we watch the ball game now? <laughs> say, no, this is crazy. We've got to keep watching. But when we went on safari, I was so excited because I thought, this is it. I am a hunter now. I am going to go on a safari. Sure, I just had a camera, but that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to find the animals. So the morning that we left on safari, I jumped out of bed and rushed out, and there it was, a jeep with no windows on the side and no roof so that you could see the animals better. You feel like you're really a part of it. And there's a driver and then a guide. And the guide is really key because he's the one who knows what he's doing. He knows what he's looking for. And he's the one that's always pointing out things that there are for you to see. And so I was listening to the guy just eating up everything he had to say because he'd say things like, hey, look over there. See, through the trees, you can see a rhinoceros. And I was like, yes. And then look that way. You'll see some monkeys. And he'd tell us more about them. Everything he said, I was just like, wow, this is great. And then we came around a bend in the trail that we were on in this Jeep and slowed down as we were going around. And there was a small little house there. And I said, hold it. 
people live in here with these animals? He said, oh yes, they do. Uh, you know, this is a massive game reserve. And, uh, but the woman who lived there, she was right outside her door one day washing off her dishes and a lion took her. And then he went on talking. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I just heard you say a lion took her. And he said, oh, that's right. I said, that's the most terrifying sentence I've ever heard in my life. A lion took her? That's way worse than saying the lion ate her. I mean, took her. Took her where? Where did they go? What did he do with her? And suddenly, my little jaunt of a safari had teeth in it. I thought, this is real. There are real animals here, and they're wild, and they want to eat me. And I pulled my hands back into the Jeep. <laughs> and I quit telling the driver, you know, go closer, go closer. How close can we get? Because I realized at that point that actually this was real life. And the thing is, it's the same way in our own real lives. Every day we're going through a battle and there are real dangers out there. But we tend to kind of get lulled into monotony, just like when I was on that safari in the Jeep, and think, no big deal. But the problem with that is that it is real life, and we get ripped up in the daily fight of just going out and uh, fighting through our day. All of us need a soul safari, and that's why we are so excited about this series, because we're going on a soul safari together. Now, the word safari makes us think of a trip to go see animals. But actually, that's not what the word means. The word safari is a Swahili word, and it means to take a journey. And so what we're doing is we're going to take a soul journey together over the next 40 days, and it's going to be amazing. And so I'm so glad you're here. I'm thrilled that we're going on this together. Trips are so much more fun together, and this is going to be a good one. So I want you to open your Bibles to Psalms, the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at uh, Psalm chapter 22. And here we find our key passage for the whole series. Chris pointed this out to me. She found it in her daily devotional a while back, and it just grabbed our hearts. And we said, that's really what it's all about. We're all on a soul safari. So would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church, and I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us through our satellite campuses, everyone worshiping with us through our broadcast and online ministry around the world, everyone here in the Woodlands, wherever you are, you are welcome, and you're part of our church, and our church is one church built on the Word of God, the only thing that can change your life. So follow along with me. Down and outers sit at God's table and eat their fill. Everyone on the hunt for God is here, praising Him. Lift it up from head to toe. Don't ever quit. From the four corners of the earth, people are coming to their senses, are running back to God. Long-lost families are falling on their faces before Him. God has taken charge. From now on, he has the last word. Dear God, I thank you that you want us to come to you and find total fulfillment. And Lord, I know that everyone within the sound of my voice is on a soul safari, that our souls are really hunting for you, God, because it's only in you that we find what we were made for. So I pray over this next 40 days as we go on this soul safari together, that you would just meet us, Lord, in the broken places in our lives, that you would just heal broken hearts and broken relationships, and I pray, Lord, that you would just lead us 
to total fulfillment. Lead us away from all the things that keep us, Lord, in this place of restlessness and lead us to your rest. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. And underline that phrase, everyone on the hunt for God is here. That's what we are. We are God hunters. We're hunting for God. And the goal on a safari, an animal safari, is to see the animals. We're going to see things. That's the reason that you always bring binoculars on a safari, because you want to make sure that you catch and see. You really take hold of what it is that you're looking for. It has to be clear. You have to stay alert and focused. Now, if you go on an animal safari in Africa, the hunters always look for a big five, the big five animals. And those big five animals are the buffalo, the elephant, the leopard, the lion, and the rhinoceros. That's not in your notes. That's just bonus information. Those are the big five. And that is what everybody goes to look for. But in this series, we're going to look for the big five that our soul is seeking. So the big five our soul is seeking looks like this. We are seeking our soul's desire purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today, purpose. Our souls are also seeking rest. We want rest. Our souls are hunting for hope. Everybody needs to have a hope. We're hunting for belonging. And we're hunting for integrity. At the heart of us, all of us want to be a person who's the same wherever we go. We have that integrity that we're the same person in one place as another. So those are the big five that we're going to talk about in this series. And God has given us this gift that really can help us find exactly what our soul is searching for. They can guide us directly to whichever one or two or three of the big five that our soul is missing. And it's the gift of restlessness. That uneasiness, that restlessness, that discontent in the soul. But when we feel a restlessness in our soul, we think it's a bad thing. And usually we'll do whatever it takes to try to get rid of that feeling because we don't wanna feel restless, we don't wanna feel uneasy. And usually when we feel a restlessness, a discontent in the soul, we start jumping from one thing to the next, trying to get rid of the restless feeling because we assume when we feel restless that there's something wrong and something needs to change, and that's true. Something needs to change and something is wrong. But we incorrectly assume that what needs to change and what is wrong is outside of us. And so we change our circumstances. We change jobs. We change cities. We get a new car, a new house, or a new spouse, and we think that's gonna change everything. Usually when we feel restless, what's missing? We just start jumping from one thing to the next, never committing to anything, and we think that's gonna solve the restlessness of our soul. The problem is, wherever you go, you take the same soul. Wherever you go, you take the same soul. You take the same restless soul. And so the problem is not outside of me. The problem is inside of me. And that restlessness is not a bad thing. Don't run from the restlessness in your soul. The restlessness is a gift from God. And if I'll get in tune with it, if I'll be alert to it, if I'll get out the spiritual binoculars and really look at the restlessness in my soul and be willing to stay in that restlessness, that restlessness can guide me to the very thing that my soul is missing, the nourishment that my soul needs at that moment. 
And so that's what we're asking you to do. Chris and I are asking you over the next 40 days to, to really get out the spiritual binoculars in your life and to be alert and in tune and attuned to the restlessness that's in your soul. And don't run from it. Bring it to God. And so we're gonna kick off the series today by looking at one of the biggest of the big five, and that's purpose. Purpose. And that is one of the biggest of the big five because without purpose, there's no soul fulfillment. This is the secret to fulfillment in your soul. Because when you live out your purpose in life, when you become who God made you to be, when you live your purpose that God has for you, you find significance. You feel that your life matters and that's so much more important than success. Nothing wrong with success. It'll just never feed your soul. It will never bring you fulfillment of the soul. Purpose not only brings fulfillment, it also reduces your frustration and your stress in this safari of stress that we're on in this life. I mean, when you know your purpose in life and who God made you to be, it not only defines what you're to do, it also defines what you don't do. It not only defines your priorities, it also defines your anti-priorities. It not only defines your business, it also defines what's none of your business. And that's a huge problem because we're always doing what everyone else thinks we ought to do. We're always doing what everyone else is doing and we don't take the time to feel the restlessness in our soul and let it move us toward who God made us to be so that we can say no to the things that aren't best. So how do you find your purpose? Well, Chris and I wanna give you three practical steps from God's word on how you find your purpose. First, get serious about seeking your purpose. Get out the spiritual binoculars and really seek. That's what God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Underline that phrase, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So God has a personal plan for your life. God created everything for a purpose, including you. And God has a purposeful, personal plan for your life, but it's God's purpose for your life. It's not your own little plan that you've come up with. If you wanna know why something was made and what something was made for, you've got to ask the person who made it. So if you wanna know why you were made and what you were made for, you've gotta go to the one who made you, and that's God. God made you, and he knows the purpose for which he made you. Now, a lot of people say you gotta look within to find your purpose. And there is a point you look at the gifts that God has placed in your life, the passion God has placed in your life, the abilities God has given you, but first, you've gotta go to God, because he made you, and it's his purpose for your life. He knows what you were made for, and until you do what you're made to do and be who you're made to be, you'll never find fulfillment. And so we go to God. Now underline the phrase, to prosper, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. I say this because God's got a good plan for you, a good purpose. God is not out to get you. God is not trying to make your life miserable. God is for you. A lot of people are afraid to surrender their life to God's purpose for their life, and they're coming up with their own little plan, and they're wondering why their soul feels empty. And instead of surrendering and committing to God's purpose for their life, they just follow their own little plan and it leads to nowhere and they wonder why they feel empty but it's because they don't wanna to surrender to God because they think if they do, God will make them miserable. 
if they really surrender to God's purpose, then he's going to have them do something they hate all their life. He, he's going to just make their life miserable. And that's not our God. I mean, how many of you guys are dads? Raise your hand. If you're a dad, raise your hand. Now, what if, dad, you had one of your kids come to you and say, dad, I love you. You're amazing. I trust you completely. And I just want you to know I commit to obeying everything you say from now on. Yeah, let's give it a cheer. And after you wake up from your dream, or after you get up off the floor after fainting, I mean, what if you said, I'm so glad that you said that, I've been waiting for that, and you're gonna regret this day for the rest of your life because I am gonna make you miserable. You're gonna have to do everything I say, and I'm gonna make you sit in the corner 18 hours a day and do math problems. I'm gonna make you so miserable. I'm so excited about this. It's crazy. I mean, any decent dad, if their kid really came to them and said, I wanna obey everything you say, we just wanna make their life wonderful. And that's the God that we have. We surrender to him and he has a good plan for our lives and we can trust him, but underline the last sentence. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, really, you don't need to hunt for your purpose. All you need to do is hunt for God. We always get caught up in our purpose and gotta find what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What we need to do is search for God and we'll find our purpose. You search for God, he's gonna reveal it to you. If you start getting serious about seeking God and hunting God, that's why over the next 40 days, we're doing something called the God Hunt. We want you to go with us on safari on the God Hunt. And so on our daily devotional, starting tomorrow morning on Monday, we're gonna have the first day of the God Hunt. It'll be five minutes, 10 minutes that'll really connect you with God in his word, give you some guidance, on how over the next 40 days, you're gonna be on the hunt for God because I promise you, if you hunt for God over the next 40 days and really seek him with all your heart, you will have clarity on your purpose. You will be doing what you're supposed to do and you'll stop doing the things that you're not over the next 40 days. It's all about seeking God. Now, Chris is gonna tell you more about the God hunt we're gonna be on. The next thing we're gonna do after really seeking after him is to deal with the distractions that steal our purpose. So you're gonna deal with the distractions that steal your purpose. Now the enemy sets traps for you to keep you from your purpose. The enemy knows that the most powerful thing in your life is knowing your purpose from God. And so he'll do anything to keep you from it. But here's the deal, they're traps. They're not laid out and said, warning, warning, I'm going to trap you. No, then it wouldn't be a trap. They appear as something that's very harmless. The traps that the enemy sets for us appear like nothing. They feel like, well, what's wrong with this? Certainly this couldn't do any harm. But after we take that first step and the net closes around us, he's got us. So we need to be aware of the traps. Now, one trap is comfort. Feeling comfortable is a big trap because if we're comfortable where we are, then we're not gonna move to anywhere else. We're not gonna to try to change. We're not going to try to change our habits, change our lives, try to be any different if we're just kind of comfortable where we're at. Now, maybe your circumstances aren't what you would have chosen, but at least they're comfortable. Kind of like an old pair of jeans. It's like, oh yeah, but at least I'm used to it. At least I know how this goes. I know what to expect. It doesn't seem dangerous, but it is. And another trap is comparison. 
The enemy tries to get us to compare ourselves to others. But the problem with comparing yourself to others is that it's always an illusion. We compare ourselves to what we think somebody else's life is like, when in fact, it just isn't. You know, I watched a lot of animal shows, and based on that, my guess would be, if someone asked me, how often do you think that lions are successful in their hunt? When they go out to hunt for prey, how often do you think they're successful? I'd say mm, probably like 90%, right? I mean, of all the shows I've ever seen, pretty much that gap between the antelope and the lion just keeps narrowing, and you're going, run, run, go faster. And finally, the lion catches his prey, and there's a big tumble, and the lion wins. So I'd say 90% might be a good guess. Sure, every once in a while, you see some great animal escape story, but no, lions usually win. Well, the truth is really different from that. The truth is that lions catch their prey only 17 to 19% of the time. That's way different than what I would have imagined, but yet that's truth. That's reality. It just doesn't make for good TV. Turns out that chases are a lot more exciting when the animal wins, when the lion catches whatever he was going after. And so if I based my life around that illusion, I'd be wrong. And in the same way, when we base our lives around what we see of someone else's life, the truth is it's all an illusion. And what we end up doing is then comparing ourselves and imitating someone else. And they are also doing a poor imitation of someone else's life. And they're imitating someone else. We're all just doing really bad imitations of each other's lives. And in truth, none of us really has our act together. And so we want to change all that. And we don't want to get discouraged by trying to imitate others because when you try to imitate somebody else's purpose, the big danger is you miss out on your own. As long as you're looking to someone else to figure out, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, then you won't get to live out what God made you for. He has a very unique, special purpose for you. And it's not something just like that other person's life. It's actually in your life. He wants to work in your marriage with your spouse and your kids and your home. In the school you go to, the workplace you go to, this is where he wants to meet you. This is where he wants to work in you. You won't find it anywhere else. We can only find our purpose by looking to the one who made us. So we're gonna get really practical in this series and we know now what we're looking for. Today we're hunting for purpose. We know what we're going to avoid. We're going to avoid the traps of comfort and comparison and imitation. But it's also good at the beginning of a journey to really take stock of where you're at. I mean, if I want to go to Dallas, it's a good thing to know that I'm in Houston. How can I get where I'm going if I don't even know where I am to begin? So all of us may know where we are physically, but I want to ask you, where is your soul today? I mean, where is your soul? How is your soul? Is it well with your soul? Most of us might say that we feel overwhelmed and scattered, over busy, uneasy, as Carrie talked about. If your soul is in that place, then this God hunt is a great place to be. My guess is that most of our days go something like this. I know this from my personal experience. Because what we do is, you reach over for your phone to turn off the alarm in the morning. It goes off, you reach over, grab your phone, and then lay in bed for a few minutes, 
check up on email, news, anything big happened during the night while I was sleeping. And then, when you don't have any more minutes to spare, jump out of bed, get ready, and rush off for your day. You rush off to work, or you rush off to school, or maybe you are at home with the kids. But no matter what, our days all look the same because we spend our days pretty much doing what someone else is expecting us to do. I mean, if you go to work, you feel like you spend your day fulfilling the expectations of your boss or your coworkers or whatever your job assignment is. You go to school and all day long, you're doing what your teachers, your coaches want you to do. You stay home with your kids, you are doing what your preschooler needs you to do. That's the most demanding job of all. And all day long, we're doing something for everybody else. We're following the dictates of everybody else's schedule. And then finally, you have dinner. Things are straightened up. The kids are put to bed. The homework's done. The work project is finished for the next day. And finally, ah, it's me time. Finally, I get to do what I want to do. Suddenly, I have freedom. And possibilities are endless for us at this point. I mean, we just want to go to the refrigerator and open the door and eat anything we want to. Or grab the TV remote and just flip through the channels and watch what we want to do, whatever we want to see. Or maybe grab our phones and look for literally anything in the world. We're enjoying it because we feel like this, this is real freedom. And finally, we notice, okay, it's around midnight, better go to bed. We go plug in the phone, get it charged for the next day, take one last look at our notifications, anything else going on, and fall asleep exhausted, only to wake up the next morning and repeat the whole thing again. Is this anything like your life? I mean, is anybody's life in that place? See, the problem is we believe that we're being our most true selves when we are free to choose. But the truth is, that our souls aren't satisfied until, by doing what we want. Our souls are only satisfied by doing what we were made to do. And what we were made to do is live out our purpose, our unique purpose that God has for us. You were made for more than this. You were made for more than trying to keep up with everybody else all day long. You were just made for more. Your soul was made for more. So how are we gonna do that? We're going to change our habits. We're going to make intentional choices on this safari journey, and we're going to change some habits in our lives. There was a Duke University study that showed that about 40% of our actions every day aren't done by choice, they're just done by habit. 40%, that's a big chunk of our lives. 40% of the time, we're not really thinking about what we're doing, we're just on autopilot. I mean, have you ever left work and then the next thing you knew it, you pulled into your driveway and you don't even know what you did in between that time. You know, you were just running on autopilot. There's so many things that we do that we just run on autopilot. Well, look at this verse. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 says, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. So with this, it's time for us to climb in the Jeep and really start this soul journey. And the way we're going to do it is by changing one simple habit in our lives this week. And that is that Carrie and I are challenging you to every day start and end your day 
on your knees in prayer. On your knees. It's like you thought, oh, the prayer part, I kind of saw that coming. But then, hold on, kneeling? Yeah, on your knees. Why? What is this? What in the world? You may be thinking, oh, well, that's okay for you. You're married to a pastor, and he won't think anything of it if you're kneeling in your house. You guys probably do that all the time. You may be thinking, but that's just kind of out there. How did kneeling, of all things, get to be something that seems so odd, so foreign to us? You know, the great thing about it is because it's so different, it actually captures our bodies. As long as we're on this earth, our bodies and our minds, our souls, are all knit together in one place. And so, by doing something physical, kneeling down, it makes our body go, whoa, what's going on here? This is unusual. What's happening? And our minds are alert to what's going on. Now, let me explain why this is important. When we grab our phones in the morning, as soon as we start scrolling, we've already lost a good part of the battle for the day. I really believe that. Because as soon as we start scrolling, you may go to eat, you may think, well, yeah, but these are good things, stuff I have to do. Maybe so, but when we start doing it, our minds turn to email, and we start thinking, oh, work, oh, I'm behind, I need to do this. We already feel like we're not adequate for the job. You may go to social media, some site, and then already feel like, oh, I'll never look like that. No matter where you go to, there's usually emotions that come up in your life in response. We feel like we're behind before our feet even hit the floor. And we've let our brains be captivated by something that someone else chose for us. Whatever you're going to, you may think you picked the site, but somebody else chose what was on there. And so this is a radical habit because we're saying that after you get up, to drop to your knees in prayer. Just drop to your knees because the flesh is always craving that attention. Now, how many likes did I get on that last post? Success. We want distraction. We want entertainment. But our soul is craving purpose. And so God wants to bless you where you are, right in your life, right here, right now, and he wants to start in the day you're in. It'll feel unfamiliar. It will feel uncomfortable. But there's nothing about being on your knees that means that you have to have some big flowery words, start talking in these and thous. It's simply kneeling and saying a simple prayer. So, for instance, when I did this this morning, I just dropped to my knees and said, okay, here we go, God. This is your day. I need you in it. And I am hunting for you. I will be looking for you, God. Please show up in the details of my life. I love you, Lord. Amen. Amen means so be it. And I get up. Hey, that was under 60 seconds, maybe under 30 seconds. So I'm not talking about, I want you to get on your knees and do a long Bible study and do a, a Greek you know, study of certain words. No, dropping to our knees and praying. Now, let's not get legalistic about it. I'm not saying, do not go to the bathroom, don't brush your teeth, don't pass go. Okay? I'm just saying, no, but the first thing we're doing, turn off your alarm, go do whatever you need to do. But I am saying before you go, start scrolling through your phone, before you watch TV, before you open your laptop, stop and make the choice. In doing that, you have already started the frame for your day. You have started framing your day already in the attitude of, you know what, there is a God. I'm kneeling because there is a God and it's not me. And I can 
that just took a huge weight off my shoulders. Now, yeah, you have to go get the baby that's crying. You've got to get ready for work. You do have to read that email. But it changes so much when we just drop to our knees and acknowledge God in our lives. We're following him. So be still. Be real. Do it before you go to any technology. And if you have physical limitations, maybe you're saying, yeah, but I can't kneel. You know what? Kneeling, again, isn't the point. There's nothing supernatural, special about kneeling. But changing something about our body posture really is helpful. So I'd encourage you to just, you know, turn your hands up and pray. If you need to go outside, do something different. Um, For most people, the easiest way to do that would be just drop to your knees. Hit the floor for, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Acknowledge God. And it'll now be our first habit of the day, the first habit in our day, and also the last habit in our day. So instead of, at the end of the day, charging your phone, checking your notifications one more time, let the last thing drop back to your knees. For me, that's usually at my bedside. And because that's where I'm at, I'm going to go to bed, oh yeah. And I just drop my knees and say, God, thank you for this day. You did come through. I didn't know if you would. You did. I'm going to need you again tomorrow. I'm counting on you. Please help me sleep tonight, Lord. I love you. Amen. I'm just something from your heart, and it can be really short, but acknowledge there is a God. He's your God. He loves you. He wants to know you and have that close relationship with you in every way. It's almost like, I remember driving through West Texas when our kids were little, and if you've driven through West Texas, I'm sorry, West Texans, but seriously, you can just stare out the window, and it just seems like the same thing, and it never changes, and it's so boring, and the kids would start arguing and fighting, and so I started bringing things in the car, and I'd pull out a thing called car bingo, you know, some little thing on cardboard where you're searching for certain things, And suddenly, everybody couldn't wait to look out the window. No, this is my window. Because they wanted to be the first one to find a cow or a cell tower or an Oklahoma license plate. Why did it change everything? Because they knew what they were looking for. So what we're going to do in this God hunt is in the morning, we acknowledge what we're looking for. God, we need you. Show up in my day. At the end of the day, stop and say, God, I saw you today. In my mind, the God hunt at the end of the day is, where did I see you today, God? Did I miss anything? Where did I see you? This is a great thing if you have kids, talk about it. You know, be able to share, hey, how's the God hunt today? Where did God show up in your life? But changing this one habit will feel awkward at first. You will not have results. Just like when you start a big a workout program or a health program, you, you really, you know, if you've been drinking milkshakes all your life, and then one day you start eating spinach, you're not going to see a difference at the end of the day. hate to burst that bubble. And it's the same with this. You may do this for a couple days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, nope, didn't work, feel the same. But like any habit, if you put it into your life, I promise that you'll see rewards eventually. You'll see a difference. Your soul will be fed. You just have to stick with it. That's part of what maturity is. So bookend your days with God. First thing in the morning, first habit in the morning, last habit in night, and see what God does in your life. So tomorrow morning, we start the God hunt. First thing you do, Drop to your knees and pray. Reframe your day. And then sometime during the day, could be right after that, but sometime during the day, then go to the website and do the God Hunt devotional. And we're gonna be helping you every day along the way, get into God's word. And then at night, before you go to bed, then just recapsulate your day with prayer and giving credit to God. I'm telling you, after 40 days, it's gonna change your life. 
those little steps will change your life. So let's go on safari together. So first, get serious about seeking your purpose. Second, deal with the distractions that steal your purpose, those purpose poachers. And the third thing is trust God that every problem has a purpose. I say that because usually when problems come our way, we think it's our problems that push us off our purpose. We think it's our pain that derails our purpose. I can't fulfill my purpose because of all this stress and all these problems, and it's just the opposite. God brings problems to push us into our purpose. Romans 8, 28, one of the most quoted promises in all of God's word, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. Some things are bad, some things are awful, some things are evil, some things are painful. But it does say that if you're a Christ follower, that God can take all the bad and bring good out of it. God will take every problem that comes into your life and use it to push you into your purpose. In fact, God can take your worst problem and turn it into your purpose. God can take your greatest pain and turn it into your purpose. Every problem has a purpose for a Christ follower. And it says here, those who have been called according to his purpose. So what is his purpose? Well, most of us stop at Romans 8.28, but Romans 8.29 tells us his purpose. It says, for from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and all along he knew who would should become like his son. He's saying his purpose is to make me more like Jesus. His purpose is to build Christ-like character into your life. And so what was Christ's character like? Kindness, strength, courage, honesty, and go on and on. So what is God up to? He is building Christ-like character into your life. Now get this, if you don't get anything else that we say today, please get this. God is far more concerned about who you are going to be than what you're going to do. God is far more concerned about the person you're becoming than the job you're doing. I say that because a lot of times college students or young people say, what does God want me to do with my life? I don't know what God wants me to do and I don't know what I'm supposed to major in. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. The first question you ought to ask is, who does God want you to be? And you decide, I am going to become the person God has called me to be. I'm gonna be a man or a woman of integrity, honesty, courage, faithfulness, on and on. And so who are you becoming? Because God wants to develop your character. What you do will come out of who you are. Now, really, God uses problems to develop our character. Instead of problems pushing us off our purpose, God uses problems. He allows problems into my life to chip away the rough edges of my character that don't look like Jesus. And so I don't like problems, I don't like pain. I don't like trials, I don't want them, but God uses them more than anything else to make me more like Jesus, to build my character. And what God is doing is preparing me for eternity because if you don't understand that life on earth is preparation for eternity, you're gonna be really confused. You're gonna get really frustrated. You're gonna get depressed. You're gonna get stressed out because you're not gonna understand what's happening. But God uses this life, 60, 70, 80 years on earth, to prepare us for forever to rule and reign with him. And he has this eternal perspective. He sees everything. Sometimes when I'm in pain, I don't see it at all. It makes no sense to me. When God's allowed something bad into my life, I don't see any good coming out of it. That's because I don't have an eternal perspective like he does. 
And so God has this eternal perspective and I have to trust that God is taking every problem and he's using it for his ultimate purpose in my life. Let's take a look at this last verse. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now, as much as Carrie and I have talked about how great per- that it is to have problems because they always work in our lives, the truth is that when we make plans, and we make a lot of them, we never once include problems in our plan. We never put some problems in. I've never planned something and thought, and you know, and just for the good of my character, I'm going to put a problem in right here. It doesn't happen. I never want problems. I always want to get away from them. But the truth is that any good character quality in your life or mine has probably come from problems. That's where we learn in life. It's going through problems and sticking with it. It turns out that character building requires practice. The only way that I learn patience is by practicing over and over again. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've discovered that if I don't learn a lesson, like being patient, I will be retested. A test will come around again, and those tests will keep on coming because God cares so much about our character. He cares more about our character than our comfort. And I'm her greatest test. Thank you. Uh you. Somebody cheered for me on that. That's not good. Thank you, though. I'm her greatest test of patience. If you don't learn it the first time, God will help you marry someone that annoys you. So anyway... uh, But God, one way or another, he will give you practice to build your character because he cares about you. And parents, hey, don't cheat your kids out of character practice. Don't cheat them out because you know why? If they don't learn to be responsible, to be kind, to do all those things that as a parent you want to teach them, they will be retested and it will be harder the next time. Every test gets harder. It's hard to learn to be responsible when you're a grade schooler, and I get it. You wanna just go in and rescue them, but the truth is, if we sign that folder that says they practiced, and we know they didn't, if we give them a pass on that homework, or they forget something, and so we rush it up to the grade school or the junior high, yeah, we wanna save them in the moment, and in the moment, it feels like that's all there is. Oh, they'll be so disappointed, but, If we step back and think about it, we realize that, you know what, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, if the practice card doesn't get signed this week, if there's a natural consequence from from that, what's the worst thing that can happen? The truth is that if our kids don't learn those character qualities when they're young, the lessons only get harder. And it's a lot harder when it's later in life and it shows up in a relationship or in losing a job. And so, parents, let's try, let's focus, let's, being on the God hunt really helps in this because it helps us be alert to things like that. It helps us be alert to ways that we can change and align ourselves more with God's purpose for our lives. The lessons in our lives do not show up as saying, this is a lesson, like in school. Lessons show up as, this is a problem, better run. So when you have that feeling of running, 
stop and just do a gut check and say, wait, is this really something I should be running from? Or is this a, a responsibility, a character quality that I'm trying to step away from and slide around? The bottom line is, is that in this journey, we have to learn to trust our guide, learn to trust him. We have to learn to be okay with not being okay for a while because we know that God one day is going to make everything okay. He is taking care of us. We start to think that our soul journey is just like the journey of our physical bodies, which is our physical bodies. We get older every year. It's really predictable. It's linear. We think, you know, I was four, I was five, and then I was 12, 13, 41, 42, 83, 84. It goes in a straight line like the shot of an arrow. And that's the same way that grades in school work. I'm in first grade, second grade, and then seventh grade, eighth grade. It just goes in one direction. And the calendar years, it was 1999, then it was 2000, 2001, 2002. It always moves straight along. But the journey of our souls is not like that. The journey of our souls is a winding path that the guide takes us on. And our guide is Jesus Christ. He takes you on a journey, and he makes sure that that journey is one that passes by the people that you need to meet, either for their good or yours, the lessons that you need to learn to become more like him. His path takes you by the blessings that he wants to give you that you'd never find on your own. You see, if on an animal safari, if we just started at one side of the park and drove straight through to the other, we'd miss basically everything. But your soul journey is different. And so what we're going to do in these coming weeks is we're going to learn to trust our good guide. Toward the end of Billy Graham's life, he was asked to speak to a group of leaders near his home in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was hesitant to accept it at first because he'd stopped all his speaking engagements because his Parkinson's disease had become so bad that he could only stand for a few minutes, couldn't talk very long. But when they said, we just want to honor you, you won't have to say hardly anything, we just want to honor you, he accepted and he went to the luncheon and after they gave him an award and said many wonderful things about him, Billy Graham stepped to the podium And he said, I'm reminded at this time of Albert Einstein, the great physicist, who was traveling on a train from Princeton. And the conductor started walking down the aisle, punching the ticket of every passenger. And he came to Einstein, and Einstein reached into his vest pocket, and the ticket wasn't there. So he reached into his pants pockets, and he couldn't find the ticket. So he opened up his briefcase and frantically went through his briefcase and wasn't able to find his ticket. And then the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are, and so we trust that you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded gratefully, and the conductor went on punching the tickets of the other passengers, and as the conductor was getting ready to go into the next train car, he looked back, and he saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, still looking for that lost ticket. So the conductor rushed back, and he said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. You don't need to find your ticket. And Einstein looked up at the conductor and he said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) And Billy Graham went on to say, hey, I'm wearing a new suit today. Hope you like my suit. My kids and grandkids have told me I've gotten a little sloppy in my old age. So I bought a new suit for this luncheon and for one more occasion. This is the suit I'll be buried in. But when you hear that I'm dead, I don't want you to remember immediately 
this suit that I'm wearing today, what I want you to remember is this. I know who I am and I know where I'm going. And that's the questions I have for you. Do you know who you are and who God made you to be? And do you know where you're going? The Bible says, says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know for sure that your journey is headed to heaven? You can know today. All you have to do is just receive Christ and his free gift of forgiveness and salvation and his free gift of heaven one day. Stop trying to save yourself and let him save you. I want us to bow together right now. Dear God, I pray over the next 40 days that you'd help every one of us answer those two questions, that we would know who we are and who you've made us to be, and we would know where we're going. And I pray for those who've never received you into their life, that right now they would just pray this prayer silently to you. Dear Jesus Christ, I need you to save me. I'm tired of trying to save myself. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and come into my life and I accept your free gift of salvation in heaven one day. Now help me grow as a Christian. And Lord, I pray for every Christ follower here that you would help us over the next 40 days. Really let you reframe our whole lives. That we would do these practical disciplines that our soul needs. And that you would guide us, Lord, to your purpose for our hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray that none of us would miss out and we would all know who we are and where we're going. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed to receive Christ, I hope that you'll check that on your Connect card. There's a little place at the bottom of your Connect card that says, committing my life to Christ. And would you check that and turn it in during our offering in just a few moments? because we wanna send you information on how you can grow in your faith. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us, and we give because we love him. We love what God's doing through the ministries and missions of Woodland Church. We have over 100 ministries and missions now all around the world, church plants from Dubai to Nairobi. Um, it's amazing what God is doing. And so we just really challenge you, encourage you to give and make it a practical discipline. It's a discipline of the soul and figure out a way you're gonna give, whether it's online or whether it's through the offering or, or whether it's through our PushPay app on your smartphone. Figure out a way that it's gonna be a discipline to put God first because God will bless you. You can't outgive him. And then also God uses it and pray he'll multiply these gifts for our ministries and missions. So Lord, we give you right now our gifts and we ask you, Lord, to use them for your glory. We thank you that we get a chance to give and we pray that you'd give back to us even more to bless us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.